from the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center, this is the Power of Erdic. Join us on a problem-solving journey as we unravel the nation's toughest science and engineering challenges. In early February, a plant supervisor remotely logged into the computer system to monitor the water treatment plant in Oldsmar, Florida. Then, something weird happened. The supervisor watched in confusion as someone else began controlling his computer. Different programs were being opened erratically, and a chemical called sodium hydroxide, also known as lye, was added to the water by a factor of more than 100. That's when it became clear that a hacker had accessed the system and was trying to poison the water. Thankfully, the attack was quickly averted and the damage was mitigated before any harm was done to city residents. But the intrusion was an alarming warning about a significant vulnerability. Cybersecurity experts have long feared an assault on our nation's water, electric, or nuclear infrastructure that could bring direct harm to residents. This was the closest someone had come to such an incursion. Days after the attack, the White House used the daily press briefing to address its significance. Meanwhile, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida said the hack should be treated as a matter of national security. The Florida attack came at a time when the nation's leaders were already deeply focused on cybersecurity. In December, a report revealed that hackers had used a network management software as the gateway to infiltrate the computers of as many as 250 federal agencies and U.S. corporations. The so-called SolarWinds attack victimized the Treasury, State, Commerce, and Energy Departments, among others, and its full impact is not yet known. Initial reports have also cited credible evidence of an adversarial involvement. During a Capitol Hill hearing about the SolarWinds Orion attack, FBI Director Christopher Wray said the scope scale, and range of methods used in today's cyber attacks dwarf what was attempted in the past. He said, we're now in a world where the question is no longer whether someone will be subject to a cyber intrusion, but rather how quickly it gets detected and mitigated. The interim national security strategy recently released by the Biden administration cites the need to make cybersecurity a top priority. Erdic is playing a key role in the efforts to strengthen the nation's cybersecurity. It provides services to protect the Defense Research and Engineering Network, safeguarding the intellectual property of defense labs across the United States and the world. Erdic also performs independent assessments of cybersecurity controls, conducts research to discover innovative cyber protection strategies, and performs adversarial emulation to proactively identify vulnerabilities and security weaknesses for the Army, DOD, and federal agencies. I'm Megan Holland, and with Chris Kiefer, this is The Power of Erdic. On today's episode, we talk cybersecurity with Chris Callahan, the chief of the Cybersecurity Engineering and Analysis Branch at Erdic's Information Technology Laboratory. Hey, Megan, how are you doing today? I know this is a topic that you're really excited about. Yes, I actually work for the Information Technology Laboratory. I am the Chief Communications Officer for the lab, and this is the first podcast we've gotten to do with somebody from my lab. So I'm very excited to have Chris Callahan here today to talk about cybersecurity, which is a really big thing for us right now. A lot of our listeners may remember we talked about the cybersecurity team a little bit in our last episode with Dr. Buddy Bartles and talking about installations of the future. And 
he mentioned that they were a key partner for them for a lot of the stuff they're enabling. So today we'll be able to go a little bit deeper into our cybersecurity efforts here at Erdic, and we're glad to welcome Chris Callahan to talk about that. Thank you, Chris and Megan. I appreciate you having me on this podcast, and we're really excited about all the work we're doing in cybersecurity. We feel like it has a major impact to help you secure your networks, your systems, and your applications. The most important thing we'd like to talk about is building security in on the front end of these research and development projects so that you can secure them and protect them from any adversaries moving forward. We talked cybersecurity, of course, has been in the news a lot lately uh, and a lot of high profile stories. And at the top of the show, we talked about a couple of those and we would like to talk with you about Erdic cybersecurity efforts and how they could prevent similar events from occurring in the future. And let's start with SolarWinds. How could Erdic protect an organization from being exposed to a similar vulnerability? So we have a couple teams that do different type of work. We have a team that does compliance assessments that through the risk management framework. And basically every system application or network has to get an authority to operate. So they have to go through an authorization process. They go through and they check things like physical security. They check your scans to make sure everything's patched up to date. And those teams identify vulnerabilities. From those vulnerabilities, we help a remediation plan to try to secure those systems so that they're not exploited by an adversary. You mentioned we talked off air a little bit about kind of what was unique about the solar winds attack. Sure. So the solar winds attack was very interesting from our perspective because it was the first time that you saw a, sp- a supply chain be compromised. So the adversary actually attacked the vendor, modified the firmware, and then they were able to download it to a bunch of different devices, over 18,000 devices, and you saw some of the impact is still being discovered. When we do defensive cyber operations, we try to look at the entire network. We look at things that are abnormal, they're anomalies within the network, and they trigger an event. So with the SolarWinds attack, there was some accounts that were being used multiple times through a VPN connection, and it was a very intelligent network defense analyst that caught that from a commercial sector. Chris, in terms of the water treatment plant in Florida, can you talk about the dangers hacking can pose to critical infrastructure and Erdic's work in this area? So the critical infrastructure is a, a really main focus that we've invested in in the last couple of years by recruiting people with the highly critical skill sets in operational technology. If you can get past the corporate network into an operational technology network and modify a program logic controller or an actual piece of hardware, then you can cause critical damage to a community by causing it to flood and flooding the valley. Um, And so we want to protect that operational technology, not only from an industry standpoint, but also from a Department of Defense standpoint with our trusted computing facilities that help run our installations. And I know most people are familiar with the term information technology, but can you talk about what operational technology is for those who are not familiar with it? So information technology is your traditional network. It's your IP network where it's routable traffic. Operational technology is more industrial control systems, and it's using a different protocol to talk to other devices to control a piece of hardware. So it's fair to say that's a risk that the layperson probably doesn't fully think about, but is is an important vulnerability that you all are, are looking at. 
Right. And so in the past, these networks were traditionally disconnected from any internet connection. You're starting to see a lot more of these OT networks be connected. They're trying to manage it through a central system for power, HVAC, all these in these smart insulation buildings that you talked about in the last podcast. So it's important to set up a defense in depth strategy so that you can protect these critical infrastructure assets so that they're not modified or changed or harmed as we t- as you talked about with the water treatment facility attack in Florida. Are the risks greater in this maximum telework environment? Yes. So what we've seen is there has been some, you saw it with Zoom early on when everybody went to Zoom and then they didn't have it secured and you could actually go into meetings and people were jumping into Zoom. So the DOD has came out with Microsoft Teams, all these secure applications to allow you to communicate securely. Um, That also led into some recent four zero days with the Microsoft Exchange environment where our email was targeted and there was a remote tool that was used that allowed them, an adversary, to read some of the email traffic. So um, all these things have heightened and increased in this telework environment. And it's super critical that you protect your personal computers, these different methods of connecting it's important to make sure your antivirus is updated. You patch the latest patches because as soon as these things are discovered, usually an operating system will put out a patch and you need to make sure that you're up to date on that to be secure as possible. There's been a, a huge concerted effort from the DOD as well as the Army, the Corps of Engineers on trying to ensure we have secure, reliable communications during this pandemic. And I think we've achieved that. And it's been amazing how much cybersecurity has been able to defend our networks, our applications, and keep them secure as possible and try to keep people off the news. That's our objective. We don't want our senior leaders on the news talking about some sort of compromise that occurred. Right. And this is something I think the last year has caused everybody to understand a little bit about the needs of cybersecurity in a different way because People are doing school online. People are working online. People are doing other activities online. Definitely. If you look at our day-to-day life, how dependent we are on technology. I mean, just going out to eat and running your credit card, we're just so dependent on that. And I think it moves into this multi-domain operations where cyber is such an important attack vector and trying to shift some efforts from adversaries on how they can cheaply stand up something, launch a piece of malware, launch it against the network and cause an outage, cause any kind of issue to change the outcome of a kinetic war. You mentioned multi-domain operations. We talked at the beginning of the show about the new, the interim national security strategy. I mean, the emphasis on cybersecurity from a national security perspective seems to just be increasing more and more. That's definitely true. We we see it in our day-to-day operations. And so it, multi-domain operations is the way of the future. If you do a Google search, you can look at the Crimea Peninsula and what happened on that uh, area of about three or four years ago and how they were able to take all their communications down, their ATMs, all their ways to communicate so they couldn't organize and defend their country against a kinetic attack. So if there's a cyber event, it should raise alarms and try to get you to look at why did that happen and then what's the next thing that's going to occur out of that so that's that's how we're training soldiers that's how we're training warfighters 
And that's how we're trying to protect against these type of events moving forward. So in response to the Florida hack at the water treatment facility, there's been a lot of talk about vulnerabilities of smaller entities that can't afford elaborate cybersecurity measures. So I think it's the one thing that can be done to alleviate the cost of cybersecurity is educating our workforce and educating operators. So in these OT environments, they are really proficient at operating the industrial control systems but they're not uh, cyber savvy, so they don't know what to look for. But if they can be trained to do that and then notice that if I see two connections to a device or if I see some abnormal behavior on the network, they can actually um, alert the cyber defenders and try to protect their network against it. Would you say that there is a need to retrofit older systems that were not initially designed with cybersecurity in mind? So a lot of these operational technology systems have a life cycle of about 20 years and they function correctly as intended and as as designed. But I think it's about the countermeasures that have to be put in place, segmenting the network, logical separations. There's definite redesign of the network that needs to occur to make the level of effort for an attacker to be more difficult. I definitely think that there's some things going on that are redesigning our networks and making it more difficult to access once they get past the first and second layer of defenses. Can you explain for the listeners a little bit about what Erdic's niche is in cybersecurity and kind of where it fits into the larger puzzle for the Army and the DOD? Sure. So within Erdic ITL, we've had a concerted effort to really specialize within critical infrastructure protection. So we've brought in computer scientists, computer engineers, we've brought in mechanical engineers, and we've really tried to focus our niche area within protecting critical infrastructure. And this has gone on for two to three years. It's been a huge investment, not only from us, but from other groups within the DOD so that we can become an NSA certified red team. So we're coming to the final end of that process and we should be an NSA red team within the next 30 days. So we're super excited about that. That allows us to operate within DOD networks and help protect them against exploits and help secure these networks, applications, and systems. When you talk about critical infrastructure, are you talking, I mean, you think Corps of Engineers, dams? Um... Sure. It's, uh, there's a lot of civil works type things out there with locks, dams, um, hydropower, installations of the future, all of these systems are considered operational technology. And if you, let's say, turn up the AC to a higher level, you can damage a supercomputer that we have here at ITL. And so all of these things are very important for the life cycle and success, successful operation of it. Erdic, of course, manages the high-performance computing modernization program. And that's also, I guess, connected to a big part of, of what you all are doing in terms of cyber defense. Definitely. We are, we are looking to protect those critical assets to conduct valuable research for the DOD and its, its customer base. So protecting those, making sure that all the environmental controls, everything is set appropriately so it doesn't um, affect the performance of it, doesn't affect the life cycle of it. Um, that these are multi-million dollar computers that are doing valuable research for the DOD. And so protecting them is critical 
Another big part, I guess, being the Defense Research Engineering Network, and you all are also responsible for protecting that. Right. We have a Defense Cyber Operations that's 365, 24 by 7, and they have about 8 million events that they have to go through each day. So that's connections they have to investigate, that's events that occur, and then they have a customer base and the tri-services that they have to help defend against. So... A lot of these directives are coming down from U.S. Cybercom. There's a DoD bug bounty program where you have researchers looking for external facing devices and they're looking for vulnerabilities and then they actually pay those researchers to turn that information in. And then we receive those and then we have to go secure those vulnerabilities that they've discovered. So the Defense Research and Engineering Network, or as we call it, the DREN, can you talk a little bit about what that is and why it is important? So the Defense Research Engineering Network is so critical because it allows, it is used exclusively for research and development. So trying to solve problems 10 years in the future. How do we become innovative in our solutions for everyday problems, not only today, but in the future? And so if that were to be compromised and an adversary had access to that research information, it would basically give them a fast forward button to 10 years in the future. They wouldn't have to spend as much money on R&D from their side. And so intellectual property is super important to protect the work that we're doing, the good, great work that's happening within the DOD. And it all occurs on the Defense Research Engineering Network. I guess in addition, we've talked a lot about the systems that you all are protecting as well as you know, the efforts that you all do to kind of check up on, on systems. But research is another portion of what you all do. Can you talk a little bit about your research role? We are standing up a cyber city for our research and development efforts and cybersecurity. And this environment is basically to allow us to simulate and replicate an operational technology environment. So let's say you give us a network diagram or architecture we can replicate that into a virtual environment and then we can have it operate similar to your environment, analyze the traffic, and then come up with solutions on how to protect those devices and then securely architect it as well. So a lot of these things are happening, looking at large data sets, looking at large replication of operational technology networks to help secure them and better architect them for the future. Okay, so when people ask me what the Information Technology Lab does, one of my favorite things to talk about is our team of hackers. I think this is such a cool way to get students and younger people excited about STEM and science and technology fields and give them a new vision for what they could do with a degree in this area. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and how someone becomes a white hacker, which I also think is one of the coolest terms that I've heard? Sure. So when you look at hackers, there's a black hat hacker, there's a white hat hacker, there's all different types of hackers that are out there, script kiddies, um, amateurs, you know, things like that. But what we talk about is we really are looking for people that are interested in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, so STEM programs. So if you have a young child and and again going back to fighting these futuristic wars and multi-domain operations we have to grow and train our students now that are in kindergarten to help prepare them for the future of these new warfare that's going to occur so i think getting into stem there's a program that's out there called cyber patriot it's a k through 12 program and it actually runs it's free to anybody to use 
teachers that has curriculum. It has these different exercises that students can run through on how to protect their home network. And then they introduce malware into it. So it's on the Cyber Patriot website and we can provide a link to that in the, the footing of this podcast. But it's just a great resource to get kids excited and interested about protecting networks, how to become a hacker, how to develop those skill sets and try to think on how to protect a network against an adversary. To become a hacker, you definitely want to get into some computer science background with your degree plans in college. You want to try to, there's a lot of, they were using information assurance, but it's going more into cybersecurity. So they're starting to build these graduate degrees and advanced degrees in cybersecurity. A lot of those things will give you the base fundamental knowledge to get into this field, as well as start working on your Security Plus certification. If you have Security Plus, a clearance and a computer science degree, then we can put you on a team, train you and get you out and help defend these networks within, you know, six months. So super excited about that. There's a lot of great talent coming out. Um, Some people are naturally gifted with it and then others have to work a lot harder for it. So we, we always say that when we're looking for hackers, they're like unicorns. When we find one, you know, they're very valuable and we have to definitely attract them and recruit them and, and have them do good work for the DOD and stay on the white hat side of things instead of the black hat. And can you explain what the difference is between a black hat and a white hat? So a black hat hacker is using their skills to do criminal things or malicious intent. A white hacker is using the same set of skills to protect and defend a network. So that is a critical difference and you can still do the same type of work, but you can use your skills for good vice detrimental. So our team of hackers, they go in, they try to hack a system. Is the point of this to identify vulnerabilities and fix them before a black hat hacker comes along? You could, you could definitely phase it like that. Um, they take the vulnerabilities and they see what's actually exploitable. So if I run a scan on a network and I identify thousands of vulnerabilities, the red team helps to say what's the most critical ones. So I can use my hacking skills to go in and I can exploit those vulnerabilities. You should fix these things first. If you don't fix these things, then you're open for an attack from an adversary. So they're using their skills to exploit known vulnerabilities to help remediate and fix your system so that they are more secure. There's two different types of team, generally speaking. There's a red team that is more offensive in nature, so they're an attacker. And then there's a blue team. The blue team is more defensive, so they're trying to defend the network against the people attacking it. The NSA red teams, there's about 10 of them in the DOD, and again, we're gonna be certified here Within the next 30 days, we're waiting on the memo to get routed and finishing the process. But that red team is very specialized in their skills and they're doing offensive adversarial assessments. And then we also have some blue teams that are defending our defense research engineering network. So they're defending our networks against people with offensive skills. It's very interesting work and rewarding work. And we have a lot of great, passionate people within our group that are helping to defend and also attack a network. And both of those things can be done to ultimately secure it. 
Chris, when you talk about this, it sounds almost like a video game, but the truth is there are very serious real life repercussions for not being prepared. So that's what we're doing. This is, you know, it's not a game, even though it sounds like a good time. We're making sure that everything that is important to the Department of Defense in the United States stays safe. Yes, this is very serious. It's about protecting our warfighters, giving them reliable technology so that they can go out and successfully defend our freedoms as a country. So it does sound like a video game and it is very virtualized. And um, we are looking for people that do gaming because they do have this certain mindset. But at the same time, there are real world impacts and a lot of these things could lead to loss of equipment, loss of life, and could definitely shift an adversarial event one way or another. We've talked a lot at a high level about Erdic's role in terms of cyber defense, but just kind of bringing it back for our listeners. I mean, what kind of things do you talk to maybe friends about or family about, or what can people do on an individual level to kind of defend some of their home networks against vulnerabilities? Right. So the most important thing is something called cyber hygiene. And what cyber hygiene is, is making sure that when those patches, critical patches come out or something's identified, that you apply those patches as soon as possible. Those patches help protect you against malware or remote access tool or something that's very harmful to your network. The last thing you want to do is have somebody hijack your computer and use it as a bot to attack another network. And so There's a lot of that. There's a lot of ransomware that's out there where they're locking some of these computer systems, holding them for ransom until you pay for them. A lot of these criminal organizations are are doing those types of attacks. As a federal employee, you have what's called the Microsoft Home Use Program, where you can pay for some of these products at a discounted rate to put on your computer for personal use. There's free antivirus programs that are out there that you can install on your machine and making sure that things are configured correctly with your built-in firewalls on your system. All these things are going to help protect you against, you know, making sure that you don't open up any unknown emails or clicking on hyperlinks when you get them. One of the main attack vectors is a phishing attack. They'll send you an email, you'll open it, click on it, and then they launch the remote access tool on your device and you're compromised. So just making sure that you're educated, aware, and if you don't recognize an email, you don't recognize a link, or if it looks really close, you definitely don't click on it or open it. You just delete it and making sure you critically patch your machine and make sure you have the latest antivirus that those things alone are going to really put you ahead in securing your systems. Chris, we have talked about a lot today. So if you are going to sum up the impact of Arctic cybersecurity efforts in just a sentence or two, how would you do that? The cost of not protecting the information, if an event occurs, if your data was compromised, if your research was compromised, it's, it goes into the millions sometimes because sometimes it's so deeply rooted within your network that you have to rebuild servers. You have to spend man hours to reduce that. You have to rebuild the entire network. All those things have a huge impact on securing our national security and protecting us from our adversaries, but also keeping ahead in innovation and being the leader, not only within the, the DOD, but within industry and in the globe. All right. Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
cyber threats grow more pervasive and complex, it is essential to protect critical infrastructure from these risks. Cyber defense is also vital to national security and to thwarting potential attacks by U.S. adversaries. Erdic's work helps enable the Department of Defense to maintain situational awareness and to defend cyber-enabled technology throughout its facilities. Erdic is also providing the research to transition proven IT cybersecurity capabilities to effectively monitor threats. The Power of Erdic podcast is a production of the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center. Follow Erdic on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest information. You can listen to the Power of Arctic podcast in all major podcast players. Please subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. Visit powerofarcticpodcast.org for more resources. You can also contact us at powerofarcticpodcast at usace.army.mil. That's all for today's episode. We'll see you next month.